This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Yeah, greetings, everybody. Wow, I'm, I'm a bit speechless at the moment, I must say. I had this lined up in Premiere Pro to release pending this voice introduction since about a week ago or thereabouts. I finally got around to do it, and I thought I'd just Google Tim Amar to see what he'd been up to in the recent past. So today's date is Thursday the 16th of February and I can see a note, well not a note, it's a link on Google. He's dead, he's gone. Tim Amar passed away. The band Pharaoh have uh, posted to their Facebook page, 59 years of age. So I assume he's passed away on either February 14 or February 15. But I gotta say I'm a bit speechless at the moment. So I'll do what I can in this introduction to relay as much information as I can about the conversation you tuned in to listen to though. The chat occurred back in May or June of 2017. It was all down to my curiosity. I've been a huge fan of the Control Denied album, The Fragile Art of Existence, ever since it came out, as a matter of fact, back in 2000, no, 1999. I remember reading about it in Metal Maniacs and the great Steve DiGiorgio was on it alongside of Chuck Schuldiner and this guy. Tim Amart, the fellow with one of the greatest voices in the history of hard rock and heavy metal. You'll actually hear throughout this chat here that I mentioned to Tim that if I could borrow anybody's voice, because I sing too, I play in a band, it'd be his. So God bless Tim, God bless his family. It's I don't ever feel as though Tim Amar has been given his just his due recognition as the fellow that not only had the last word in Chuck Schuldiner's considerable legacy, but as a vocalist in his own right, forging the genre in his own way. He has an enormously powerful voice. If you're yet to hear the Control Denied album, go across to Spotify and have a bit of a listen to it. Before or after this, either way, just have a bit of a listen to it. I believe, and I didn't ask him this question, but long term he would have been the the vocalist in all of Chuck's all of Chuck's progress, pro, uh, projects, whether that be Death or Control Denied or anything else that would have come out of the imagination of the great Chuck Schuldiner, pending personal disagreements. And you'll hear that it wasn't always plain sailing between Chuck and Tim. But uh, this conversation, he's very frank, he's very real about what his struggles are, his recent struggles for the uh, for the period of time that the conversation occurred, so 2017, he was driving rideshare, so Uber or any one of those other rideshare type businesses, he was doing that, and he was on Patreon or GoFundMe, one of them, asking for assistance, because he was he was down to the seat of his pants, I think, meaning that life had been very, very difficult for him up to that moment. And he's another guy that I just couldn't fucking believe that the metal mastheads that are out there being Decibel, Metal Injection, all of that shit, that they hadn't reached out to him to gain his insight. Now, that, they might have. I might have just missed the article, but I believe me, I've searched for it and I can't, I can't find anything. But uh, he's, a, he's just an enormous talent and uh, I'm very sad that he's, he's lost to this earth anyway. May he continue to reign supreme in the next, that's for sure, with that almighty voice of his. So yeah, this chat is a huge deep dive into his thoughts. He shares his feelings on working with Chuck and the broader death and control denied camp. 
what he's been up to uh, with Pharaoh and Amar Geddon and some of the other projects there. I think he talks about some teaching that he's been doing as well. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here, but this may well be the only long form. It's not an interview. I'm clear about that. It's a conversation that happened very early on in my podcasting career, but it's the only long form conversation out there featuring the fella. And I don't know what to say. Yeah, a bit lost, even though I've spoken a bit here. (laughs) People who listen to the show are used to me doing this, so whatever. The conversation kicks off with Tim responding to my question about a comment that he made on Facebook that, ironically, life was looking like as though it was on the upward trajectory. So here he is, the late, great Tim Amar. Finally, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was pretty rough there. Yeah. Rough for a few years, and... uh, but he, yeah, just when you think, just when you think it can't get any worse, you know, like yeah. just has a way of fighting. Yeah, no, fair enough, mate. Fair I enough. Had, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I What's had the- health issues, and trying to fix the health issues made things worse. Yeah, gotcha. Well, mate, you'd be pleased to know, mate. There was, uh, there was, a, there was a lot of uh, concern in the metal community for you. So uh, I'm glad to see that, mate. When you when you um, yeah. you called, people responded. I am so thankful for that, man. I, I tell you, um, you never know. You're not wrong. Just, uh, I have I have these pain issues, and I, I guess uh, you probably understand if you followed me on Facebook at all. Sure, do you? you? Know, I have uh, chronic pain from from injuries in the past, from doing all kinds of things. Uh, you know, some of it my own fault, some of it uh, work accidents, but uh, you know, these injuries have accumulated, and and uh, you know, I found myself in a position where. You know, the pain was was uh, keeping me from going to work. Yep. And I applied for a, a disability, at least have some income. Well, it took a year and a half, and then the attorneys finally decided to drop the case because yep. I was working to keep the roof over my head. I, have, I don't have family handing me money to keep me, you know, to keep me a roof over my head and my belly. I've got to do that myself. Yep. And uh, I don't. I asked my attorney, "What do you, what, you know, how many cases do you have a year like mine?" And he said, "Probably six hundred. The firm has maybe six hundred cases a year." I said, "Well, what do the other five hundred ninety-nine people do for a year or more while they're waiting for their hearings?" And he said, "To tell you the truth, I don't even know." Do you expect me to be homeless? You know, I'm not going to survive that. (laughs) Yeah, it sort of puts you between a rock and a hard place, doesn't it? Yeah, I really was. And um, fortunately, um, I had the moral support from people around me and and some people around me. Some people made it even worse. Um, But... Uh, that convinced me to to put up a GoFundMe on Facebook, yeah, that was and a good the fans idea. responded, and, and I couldn't believe how quickly they responded and, and how generous they were. Because in a matter of a couple of days, I had more than enough to start my Uber. Uh, 
Yeah, fantastic, mate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I had enough. There was enough of a buffer that I could get, keep my rent paid until I got things rolling. And uh, well, then I had, uh, after that, I a month or two later, you know, um, things are still going with the Uber. But um, I, one of the things that happened, uh, like back in October. Um, my doctor had recommended uh, some pain medication. I said, I don't want to take anything addictive. So absolutely no um, opiates yes. or opioids either. No, I don't want them. I've watched too many people get hooked on them and trying to get off them is even worse. You know? So uh, he had me try um, what's called gabapentin which is for the, the nerve damage that helps with the neuropathy in my hands. And, well, I'm the lucky guy. I mean, only a few people out of a thousand, I guess, get the symptoms that I got. I was suicidal. Jesus, okay, yeah. And uh, just, yeah, it was helping the, the neuropathy a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we can't live with suicidal. That's not going <laughs> to no, be not productive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Jesus, yeah. I, as I'm getting, as I'm withdrawing from that, he put me on an antidepressant that um, that made me sleep for about 20 hours a day. Well, no, nobody understands that you're on an antidepressant that makes you sleep 20 hours a day. Yeah, they tend to do they, that for some people. Not not things. Yeah. Right, and that's what happened. I'm I'm just that lucky guy that I get those side effects. Yep. And so I got off of those, you know, and it took maybe two months, three months. Uh, it was from October until uh, about the middle of May uh, to get on and off these drugs. Definitely not. I mean, they might, if whatever they're helping with the pain, they're not helping with my life at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and then I have asthma as well. The weather here is uh, pretty, it's been pretty crazy. We didn't get spring until a few weeks ago, and it all, everything just popped up. All the trees, all the flowers, everything popped up at once. And the yep. pollen count here is just ridiculous. And here I'm driving a car, so I'm breathing even more pollen than I would normally just standing or you know, walking. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm breathing probably a hundred times more pollen <laughs> yeah. that way. Are you in? Um, <laughs> are you in? Are you in Pittsburgh? Are you back so in your hometown? So my asthma put me in a hospital. What's that? Yeah, I'm back from my hometown of Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah gotcha. Yep. So I ended up in the hospital. I had a hospital an asthma attack so bad I thought I was actually going to die. I only live about a mile from the hospital, so I made it to the hospital and put me on the, the machine with the uh, um, albuterol for maybe an hour. But I was breathing again in like 10, 15 minutes. Yep. And uh, yeah, they sent me home with prednisone in me and, you know, and a prescription for prednisone, a steroid to help heal the lesions. Because when you have an asthma attack, and uh, so the, this, I'm the lucky guy. The side effects of the prednisone are horrible. So I was suicidal from that and went into a bout of depression and anxiety that I've never experienced in my life so badly. Okay. 
And you know, from the pain, I've had this pain problem for about 20 years. The pain that causes depression and anxiety. So it's a vicious cycle. The pain, the pain and the asthma are both causing anxiety and causing depression. And then they give me these drugs that make me suicidal. I can't win. Jesus, yeah, mate. <laughs> What's well, a shame? You know, but yeah. luckily it was only for a week. It was only for a week, and I got off that, and uh, I'm feeling a lot better. Sounds like as though you've retained your sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. You try, yeah. All right, I'm mate. Ready to, I'm ready to start moving forward. No, good on you, mate. No, good on you. Well, you know, uh, not that I speak for the metal community globally, but I certainly speak for myself and my family, mate. So from me and mine to yours, mate, wish you all the very best moving forward because you certainly deserve it. And Thank you. I've got a ton of questions to ask you about your wonderful career, but, you know, one of the, uh, one, I don't know whether you call it an injustice or a tragedy, mate, but in, in my, I've said this to many people, but you possess the voice that I personally would like to have, and I'd do a little bit of singing and playing the guitar, and I'll certainly play the guitar and play bass, and I'd do a little bit of singing, but your voice is one that is unique, and it is standalone, and it is a voice I'd like to borrow, if you might be saying, so it's a tragedy that you can't use it use it more and, and be on more metal releases, because I know there's a ton of people out there that would like to hear you on, uh, on on more releases than what we've got access to currently yeah I'm working on that I mean I over the years I've guested on a lot of records uh, for people all over the place and I would like to get into doing more of that uh, I have to get myself right now into into a position where I have a studio and you know I, I've always had a studio that I live in. And, you know, we're one close by that I work in that, uh, you know, I can do these little projects on the side and, uh, and, and my own projects. So I'm kind of stalled out right now as far as uh, doing the, the recording of the vocals uh, yeah. because, you know, naturally I have to make noise to do that. And I'm in a hotel, so that's, it's not conducive. Yeah, gotcha. But, uh, I have a friend right up the street who has a recording studio. And the recording studio that I used to work at, um, it's now called Tonic. It's called Soundscape when I worked there. And uh, I, I've been talking with Doug Casper, uh, the, uh, the owner there, and we've been, we've been friends for about 25 years. And we started our studio together. and, and uh, it's really grown and, uh, you know, it's all modern and updated now. It's all digital. And uh, we've been talking. That was out at his place last week uh, to talk about coming back to the studio and getting on the staff again. Yeah, awesome. So I'll have an outlet. You know, I'll, I'll have that available to me soon. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, I'm, I'm doing mastering for bands. Uh, okay. There's a band in Costa Rica sending me their project after. So, I've, been, I've been working on a, a few things here or there, and I'm ready to start up Amargeddon again. You know about that. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, that's one of Ben's own questions about it. Actually, tell us about what's going on there. Well, I decided it was time. You know, I'd spent all my life, I'm a big fan of guys like, you know, the Beatles. They're totally self contained. You know, they uh, they were musicians who had a studio available to them and their writing all the way, the whole process 
was done on their own. And then, you know, then along came uh, guys like Prince who were producing themselves and other bands started producing themselves. And, uh, you know, uh, my career has, has led me to that. Um, I was, I've been a musician professionally since I was about 15, playing in the clubs in Pittsburgh and then graduating through ranks yep. to uh, to where I am now. And I did the same with my engineering <coughs> career and my teaching career. You know, I was a, a voice teacher for about 14 years, and, and I also and I worked at, in the recording studio um, altogether for about 20 years, I guess. Yep. And, um, you know, it's time for all that to come together. So I decided uh, that I would start my my solo project and, and uh, we'll, we'll start off with covers and yeah, cool. for the first record to make it easy on everybody you know I have friends all over the world that, that play guitar and drums and bass and keyboards and, and I said you know what you know there's all these people that I've always wanted to jam with and, and, and never got a chance to well we're in the digital age now we can do that you know almost every musician out there has a, a, some way of recording themselves so, you know, I'll work up the tracks, I'll work up the drums and, and then, you know, whatever, whatever rhythm tracks, you know, I'll work up the rhythm tracks and send them out. And like, so you guys, like Jim Doffer was, was one of the first guys that I sent stuff out to. Okay. My best friend, Mike Proctor, uh, does all the rhythm tracks with me. I do, I work up the drums and the bass and, and I have a couple bass players. There's a whole list online of, of um, guys that will be involved. Um, now I can just send them tracks. They send me back their track and I mix it. And it's okay. Yeah, fair thing. enough. It's, so yeah, I have no excuses. If it sucks, it's on me. You know? <laughs> But so far, it's not sucking at all. It's, uh, it's, it's really been a great experience. Good on you. And, and uh, there's, there's a lot more coming. If we have like four or five songs done, and the, the rest are coming slowly. Like I yep. said, I just need the facilities. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Hey, I'm going to change gears for a second. Myself included, I think the vast majority of people that will be listening to our podcast here uh, know you as the final voice in the significant body of work from Chuck Sheldina. So the, the two of you became yeah. bandmates in Control Denied after Chuck had released the final album in the Death Catalogue. Now, I've, I've done a bit of preparation yeah. for our catch-up today, and I've read many of the interviews with you posted online, and you've already offered questions, answers to the questions about the timeline and the episode of events that led to the two of you meeting. So for our chat, I thought right. I'd do something a bit different and ask you in your own words to share with the listeners about your relationship with Chuck and the special bond you shared. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good. I'm tired of questions all the time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I read a couple of, just quickly, I read a couple of interviews with you and you do seem to get asked the same questions all the time. So I thought, I'm going to mix this one up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, there's only so many ways you can reword something. <laughs> yes, totally, yeah. <laughs> so, you and, so you and Chuck, you were mates. Yeah, we became good friends very quickly. It wasn't hard to be friends with Chuck. For some people, yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> but uh, he, he was a friendly person like myself and uh, a hippie, you know, pretty yeah. laid back. 
we, we like all the same things. Good food, family, that kind of thing. Yep. And uh, we just hit it off. We hit it off. And, and it was a, a, a strange connection with some people. Um, it's not like, you know, it's not like we were constantly in communication. There was, you know, when we first met, it was, what, 90, 96, 97. And uh, I did the audition in 97, three-song demo. And um, that's in that in that time we had talked enough on the phone to form a bond when i got to florida and met him and the guys in the band um it was it was like coming home it felt like that it wasn't like i was going to meet my new boss or or try to fit in with this new band um it was it felt like i was coming home and just from there i mean we we lived in his home. You know, he invited me to live in his home while we worked. And um, we, like I said, we like a lot of the same things. I'm a coffee lover. We get up in the morning and have a nice strong cup of coffee and a bagel with cream cheese. And call the radio station and and uh, order up some Southern Rock. You wouldn't think that, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't think that uh, big bad metal guys were into like. Uh, you know, Almond Brothers and, and Leonard, uh, Leonard Skinner. But yep. that, that's what we lived. That's what we, that, those were our heroes, too, you know. And uh, so we'd like listening to that stuff and howling along to it in the morning. That's a good way to wake up. And then we'd hit the studio. And uh, a funny thing about my relationship with Chuck, you know, um, and I have a few friends that it's the same way. You don't talk to, you know, just because you don't talk to a friend every day doesn't mean that you're you're not their friend or they're not yeah, your friend. Agreed. Okay. Yeah, great. Um, you know, and maybe uh, you know a few weeks, a month would go by, and I'd be like, you know what, it's time to give Chuck a call and touch base, see how he's doing and, and what's going on. And I pick up, I go to pick up the phone, and it rings, and it's him. <laughs> Yeah, he had a good connection. Yeah, and that happened connection. a few times. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we had our arguments, but not over anything serious. We had one argument. <laughs> <laughs> what was that about? And, uh, a garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to argue about anything, it's as good a as it is. Yeah. Well... Uh, you know, I was down there to rehearse with the band before we went into uh, more sound. We were rehearsing and, and finishing up the last demos because we still had a few songs to, to finish the demos on before we went and recorded them. And um, so I was staying at Chuck's and uh, well, I lost my track here. This truck pulled in and distracted me. You know, <laughs> the guy jumping out with an orange suit like, like he's a runaway uh, convict or something. Um, you're saying you're staying with where Chuck? Where was I, Andrew? <laughs> oh, you're, you're saying you were staying with Chuck? Yeah, I was staying with Chuck. We were working on, on, the, on the record together. I don't know what the point was now. That's what happens when you get old. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> the feeling. So, so um, you may have already alluded to this, um, but was there a, a moment when you were working with Chuck that you felt this whole thing just feels right? Oh, immediately, immediately, yeah. Uh, as soon as we started working in working in the the, the his home studio back in '97. Um, I, it was just, it, like I said, it was felt like coming home. It felt like we had worked for years together. And, you know, uh, he had, he had a, a different approach to uh, recording and producing things, and so did I. And But when you put those two things together, man, I mean, just, it just flowed. Yeah. And the, work, the, the workflow was so easy. There was no butting heads over things. Okay, let's do that again. Let's try it a different way. Let's, you know, and, and it just flew by. And, and we got our demos done. We were expecting for it to take a whole week, but three days, bam, we're done. Yeah, fair enough, mate. And, um... Oh, the garbage can. I was talking about the garbage can. That was funny as hell because as I was as down there and, and uh, we're working out the last few demos and, and rehearsing with the band at night he's paying me per diem you know which is sort of an allowance yep. you know and so uh, I noticed that when the guys came over we're drinking a lot of beer we've got the band and friends coming over and we're drinking a lot of beer and there's never enough garbage cans <laughs> to uh, to hold all the bottles and cans. So I went to the store and I bought a garbage can. It's a garbage line, peg line, you know, can liners yeah. for Chuck's plates. And, he's, and he got mad. He said, don't be spending your money on on uh, me. You know, I'll go buy myself a garbage can. And I said, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. You don't tell me how to spend my money. If I want to buy my friend a garbage can, I will. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing we ever thought about. It was yeah, it wasn't even a fight. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so it was a disagreement, <laughs> but I, it, well, it sounded like it sounded like two brothers fighting. If you don't mind me saying, that's the sort of thing brothers fight about. Yeah, it was a very brotherly fight. Everything, everything about the band was very brotherly. Chuck was um, so he he was very family oriented. Do you have a relationship with his sister Beth Ann yeah. and with his mother Jane? I had the good fortune of, of uh, staying with them, and um, I had, uh, I was producing a guitar player, a female guitar player, and um, long story short, we ended up getting married. She wanted to put a band together, and she's a death metal guitar player. Mm -hmm. Big fan of Chuck's, and I said, "Well, you know what? The best place to do that is uh, in Florida, and either Orlando, Tampa, be a good place to find killer metal players bands, and and uh, I'm sure I can find a studio to plug into down there." For. So I uh, talked with Beth Ann, and she said, "Just pack the bag, just just get down here." You know, just get down here. I'll help you get things going. And so uh, we got down there, and uh, I 
Beth Ann is a, a property manager, so she worked, she worked on a, a sweat equity made a caregiver or caretaker or whatever you call it, a groundskeeper at uh, one of the homes that she was managing, one of the, one of the properties she was managing. So um, my wife rent free in a beautiful home, and and then I worked for her uh, her fiance was. Uh, he had a construction company that, that did the rehabilitation on these luxury homes right, in Orlando. Yeah. And, uh, so I worked with him for a while. And, uh, well, that was right after that we had that the housing crunch. A lot of people lost a lot of money and weren't buying luxury homes at that time. So uh, I got laid off and I went to another, uh, another company and did well there. But yeah, I had the, the soldiers to help me through that, and during that time, I, I you know I got to be even more familiar with Chuck through his mom, and it's just one of the things his mother always said is, "You even look like brothers." <laughs> yes, yeah, I can see that now. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. Yeah. Same, you act the same. You have the same. You have the same ideas. The same demeanor, and it's, it's like your brothers. <laughs> Yeah. What do you think? Um, what do you think Chuck would be doing if he were around in 2017? What would he be doing? Yes. By now, I mean he would be. He'd be what 50, 51 by now. Yeah, 50. Yeah, apparently he'd be 50. Yeah. Be 50 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm. 50. And he would be 50 now. And our plan was, last we spoke about it. Our plan was that we'd be retired by now and racing our yachts. <laughs> That's what we'd be doing. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a good life, mate. Yeah. That was our plan. Yeah. yeah. Can you describe the music on what would have been the final installment of Chuck's legacy, the album When Man and Machine Collide? Because I understand this is an album that will never be released. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, and I've tried to explain this over the years, what was happening a bit, and no one, no one seems to grasp really what happened there. Yeah. We got caught up. He wanted that. He wanted that album. First of all, he had to fight the battle to get us off of um, nuclear blast. He had to fight that battle while he was battling cancer. Yes. And then it got us on that 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 and um, and when he took a look at their assets and everything, he said, "Wait a minute! They don't even have the assets to back up this contract. That's fraud. We need to get out of this contract." And then he died. So he told me in the meantime and the rest of the guys, "Don't finish the album till till we get out of court." Whatever happens, whether I live or not, since, you know, we're not going to finish this album until we get out of court with it. And uh, so it took 10 years to, and, uh, and Eric Reif finally stepped in and settled out of court. So we got the, at least got the rights back to it. But in the meanwhile, what happened was uh, Chuck had, um, he had been doing the best he could um, uh, under the circumstances. So he got um, some things recorded at Morris Sound and some things were he took home 
because it's expensive to do the experimenting with things in the studio. So you took um, rhythm tracks home and worked out solos on his hard disk recorder. And uh, we thought those had been saved for posterity so that we could use them when the time came. Yep. But uh, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, you know, the equipment that they record only does live for five years, and it's ten years later, so that data was degraded and scrambled all over the hard drive. Oh, yeah. And uh, Richard, Richard took it to a, to a specialist and tried to recover as much data as we could, but it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. And we don't know which pieces were meant to be kept and which were meant to be thrown away. Yep. Um, so if there's just too much damage to the data to even try to, to reassemble it and, and, and make a good product of it. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. The bottom line, you know, Chuck was very tough on on fault uh, and things. So, uh, you know, we're not we're not going to put out a piece of crap just for the sake of putting it out. Yep. Oh well, that explains that then. Yeah. No. No. Thanks for offering a summary on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd read bits and pieces on the web interviews with yourself, uh, with Eric, uh, even with Jim Morris. I think has even offered a quote about it. But I think that puts a full stop on it all. It's unfortunate, yeah. but I think the 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 way in which yourself and the other co-contributors honor Chuck's legacy is not releasing something that shouldn't be released, and that's certainly what you've got right there. Tracks that I have, they're demos, you know, and yeah. we all understand what demos are. They, they're not meant to sound good. They don't represent the finished product very, you know, very accurately. Yeah, fair enough. And just trying to get the ideas out. You know, you're not worried about how it sounds. If there's a little imperfection here and there, who cares? Let's get an idea out so you can hand it to the to the specialist who's going to play the bass or the drums and do the singing. Yeah, yeah. And the fragile. So there, the demos are nowhere near that quality. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yeah. Well, that's that's that then, I suppose, isn't it? I mean, it's a shame, but um, I really, uh, you know, again, I'm not speaking for the metal community, just for myself here, but I really appreciate that you guys haven't tried to release demos and dress them up as as a final product because it was never what Chuck was all about, and right. I mean, you can always really and, and, and yourself as well. I've listened to the Pharaoh albums that, that that I could get access to and and the like. Um, it's all about high quality output, giving the fans the best quality uh, material at the time, and demos certainly yeah. aren't that. Yeah, uh, everybody knows I'm a perfectionist, but uh, so the somehow, yeah. go ahead. You're right. Oh, I was just going to ask about the fragile art of existence because um, that's that's an album that was it still is ahead of its time, my opinion. Um, and certainly in 1999 when it was released, it went over a lot of people's heads. Um, so the older I get, it yeah. seems to sound better. Um, and there are aspects of the arrangement of each song that only become apparent the more that I listen to it. So what's your take on the album now that it's almost at its 20th anniversary? Wow, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, when, when we first did it, we knew it was different and we were going to catch a lot of 
criticism about it. Um, there wasn't really much to compare it to because it was basically a death metal band with a, with a power metal singer, but I'm, but not singing in the power metal style per se. Yes, agreed. The, the style, the, the singing style was was foreign to me even, you know, and it took me a while to catch on to the way the it's kind of like they took Chuck took the death metal phrasing the way he would phrase things as, as a death metal guitar player singer and he phrased it that way but then I melodicized it and so we came up with a, a unique approach to uh, you know like a not a new genre but, but then over the years we've heard other bands doing kind of that thing you know a progressive death metal band yes. with melodic folk we hear more and more than every day yeah I think I think you you mixed up that that's that scream that you've got um, alluded to a, a lot of what was going to happen uh, within the, the vocalist. I don't know whether they borrowed it from you per se, but the vocalist and the metalcore genre yeah. will have a clean vocal and then they have that scream or that, that shout. Um, and you were doing that on that album, and, and I don't really recall a lot of it. I've been listening yeah. to metal for 25 years or so, and I don't really recall a lot of albums that sounded like that at all. There might be out there, but I certainly can't recall one right now as I'm talking to you. Um, yeah. So it was a very innovative yeah, record. The idea the idea was to, you know, when we talked about our influences, I'm influenced by thousands of musicians and singers, you know, everyone from Paul McCartney and uh, Smokey Robinson to Death Rob Halford and, and uh, you know, all the classic metal uh, icons, you know. Yep. And uh, the idea was to put all that in a bag and shake it up and exactly. Look, there was a um, there was an interview that was uh, an interview and a feature on the band that was uh, published in Metal Maniacs magazine in that same year, 1999. And I wasn't aware. It's only I've only recently become aware that you actually obtained the role of the front man of Control Denied over the voice of metal himself, Rob Halford. And Back in that Metal yeah. Maniacs magazine, they actually referred to you as the voice of metal, and I thought, God, that's a lofty title to get so give somebody. Then I heard you singing, and I thought, <laughs> okay, now I get it. <laughs> that scares me. <laughs> I have to live up to that. <laughs> well, well, you do that. You do that well. But how do you feel that you, you obtained a role over the, the metal god himself? I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's uh, I mean, that's really an honor. So, you know, and I've been working a long time, and it's, it's never been my goal to be like the best singer in the world. It's just I I work to you know everything I do is just to be a little bit better the next time I do it. I'll do myself the next time around, you know. And it's always about the song, you know. Is what I'm doing doing the song justice? Is it taking the song where it needs to go? That's what I'm thinking when I'm singing. Not, not is everybody going to like this, and are they going to are they going to make me the king of metal now? Yep. But um, uh, recently, well, a couple of years ago, I, I read a, a reader's poll where they put me in the top 100 of the greatest hard rock and heavy metal singers of all time, 
uh, number 98 on the list, but hey, I'm on the damn list. Yeah, you're on the list, you know? yeah. No, what, That's a good feeling. What was the publication that that was organized through? I don't know. Um, I, I have a, a link to it that I post every once in a while. Hey, guys, check this out. Remember to, uh, remember to vote on me. Vote, vote for me on the next reader's polls. Um, hmm. Because guys like me get forgotten when it comes to that, you know. <laughs> I, I agree. Don't, we're not, you know, I'm, a, I'm an underground metal singer. You're not gonna, you're not necessarily going to turn on your radio and hear Tim Amar singing on the radio. You're never going to, you know, unless you're in Europe. So, you know, there are stations in Europe and, yes. and around the world that, that play that play heavy metal and they play Control Denied and they play Pharaoh. But um, in the United States, I don't think you're ever going to hear it. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So I'm an underground singer. I don't know how I got on the same list as like um, uh, Ronnie James Dio yeah, I was gonna say and Dio. Rob Halford yeah. and, and uh, <laughs> Well I think it honors I think it honors your wonderful wonderful legacy and, and look you, you do as I mentioned yeah. at the beginning of our discussion, you are the final voice in Chuck Schuldiner's often overwhelming legacy because, you know, Chuck in his own way, um, you know, this might sound a bit ethereal, but he's long gone. I mean, he's been gone well over 15 years now, but there are so many YouTube interviews and the like posted with him. He almost is still Death, death Metal's preeminent spokesperson and representative, and you hold the last the last word, if you like, in his legacy, as I say, mate. So I think, you think there's a, there's also a lot of reverence for the work that you've done out there. And um, I know, um, you know, I, I don't talk to a lot of metal fans in Australia about Control Denied. I, I, I definitely spread the word and try to convert as many people as I can. But certainly globally and as proof positive of the response to your GoFundMe campaign, there is a lot of affection out there toward you. Um, so, mate, we can only yeah. hope that you you do appear on more more releases, whether it be through Armageddon or, or Pharaoh or whatever it might be. That's good to know. You know, so Death DTA Tours is the name of a tribute tour and a show dedicated to honouring the legacy of Chuck and Death's music. Has it ever been proposed for the show to perform Control Denied and the Fragile Art of Existence, just songs or even the album in its entirety? With the death to all, yeah, or, yeah, on the death to all tour. Yep. That was uh, a couple of years ago. Eric Greif asked me about doing it. Now we're just going to get everybody involved, and of course, um, um, Shannon had his own health problems. Yes, I read. Some, yeah, some heart issues. Yeah, um, and then you know, um, Steve. I think Steve was on the tour, wasn't he? Yes, yes, he was. Yeah, I think Steve he's... was on the tour. We talked about doing it, but um, I think the issue was who was going to play Chuck's parts. That's a that's a yeah, sure. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of the guitarists that have played with him could play what he plays, uh, and come close to the way he played it. And the average ear's not going to notice a difference. But uh, it's just something about standing in his shoes. 
that I don't think anybody really wants to touch that. Uh, yeah, I no, agree. Right. Yeah. But I ended up not doing it. Uh, yeah. We even talked about bringing Pharaoh on as an opening act to make it. Make it um, yeah, that'd be fantastic, you know, mate. Yeah. More, more beneficial for that part of my career, too. Well, I think it gives it gives fans a uh, you know gives fans an opportunity to see you. Yeah, wonderful. And I was I was going to ask if there was a possibility that the show could even uh, include performances from when Man and Machine collide. If there was ever if the stars ever aligned and uh, one of uh, Chuck's guitarists like Ralph Santola or Paul um, Masvidal was available, do you think you'd step up and do that? Yeah. Cool. Um, wow. I mean, that would be that would be totally awesome, and we could probably pull that off between Paul and uh, James Murphy. I know he would love to do it. Oh uh, yes, um, yes. And Ralph. I mean, it could be done, but um. No, it's a matter of us get. We'd have to get together. We'd have to work on it, and, and uh, of course, it, we wouldn't be sure it's exactly what Chuck had in mind. Yeah, because we're talking about unfinished demos, and, and uh, you know, naturally, he would have been there to to coach us and, and get us to to uh, bring to fruition the the original idea he had. I'm going to uh, name some co-contributors and bandmates to the Control Denied project, and if you're able to offer a quote about your experience working with them, that'd be great. So the first name that I had was Richard Christie. Richard Christie, oh my God, what a guy. He was a lot of fun. He, of course, he's a really funny guy, and all the guys he controlled tonight have really good senses of humor. So, yeah. uh, it, it was really fun working with him. I mean, he picks up on things so fast, which is one of the things that I really love about him. Um, you know, he'll he'll come up with an idea, work it out for five minutes, and okay, there you go. That's what it is. And he's not he. Uh, and uh, although he is funny and silly and comical on one side, he's really serious about what he does on the drums. And yeah, you can no tell. Joke. Yeah, yeah, he's one of the most inventive drummers of the modern era. There's no doubt about that. I know his regiment. How you know how strict he is with himself when it comes to practicing the drums. So, yeah. Yeah. He's a killer. All right. Um, that about sums up Richard. And um, the next person on my list is Steve DiGiorgio. Steve is uh, just an awesome guy. Um, I didn't get to meet Steve at first because, of course, Scott was the original bass player. Yes. And um, when Steve came aboard, John, we had only talked online and on the telephone a little bit here and there. Um, welcome to the Brotherhood, basically, was the, was the conversation. And can't wait to meet you. And then uh, when we did get to meet, it was under under sorry circumstances. You know, um, Chuck had passed away, and I went yep. down to the memorial, and that's, that's where I met Steve. And, um, yeah, gotcha. So, so obviously a lot of there the, is a bond. 
Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. for, for the little bit of time that I, that I met Steve, um, and for the reason that, that we got together, I guess um, there's a bond there that uh, we'll have for life, I'm sure. And uh, when uh, he was involved, he was involved with uh, a project um, with a, an Italian producer and an Italian singer, and uh, they were doing a, a rock opera, and uh, they, they needed a singer to play the part of um, Lucifer. And I was the voice that came to mind. And, uh, and Steve said, oh, I know the perfect Lucifer. So he <laughs> thinks <laughs> Very appropriate. <laughs> yes. So he does think of me. Uh, yeah, wonderful bass player too. Actually, I'm a, I'm a bass player first and foremost, and I'm astounded at his playing yeah. on um, on all of the death records, yeah. the death records he appeared on, and um, of course on the Control Denied album. It's phenomenal stuff. Yeah. Um, the next person is. Yeah, and, 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 you, see, you see Steve. You see Steve with his beard, and he's all metal. And you might get a different um, idea of uh, what kind of person, what kind of personality he has. But really, he's like a lot of heavy metal and, and uh, you know hard rock musicians that I know. They they appear to be really tough guys, but when you meet them. They're really just nice, genuinely sincere people. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly been my experience as well, meeting people, including your good self, mate. This chat's been fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the uh, the next person on my list is, uh, we've already uh, mentioned him, but rest in peace, Scott Clendenin. Oh, my God, Scott. Scott and I hit it off pretty well as friends. Um... We even, uh, like, after the rehearsals and after the, the recording sessions, um, Scott and I went to the amusement park down there and had a blast. And uh, we talked about all kind of things. Um, and when we were done recording our parts or just, you know, and just hanging out at the studio, you know, talk about all kinds of different things. and. He would confide in me about his his uh, issues that he had with death, and that's the last real conversation I had with Scott was about you know, issues that he had with death. And I said, "Look, you know, this isn't death. This is controlled denied. You're going to really have to just you know put all those issues behind you. That's not fair to me." Yeah. And he said, "You know what? You're right." So, you know, he tried to he tried to forget about the issues that he had with with death, and uh, I had the same conversation with Chuck. You know, Chuck said, "You're absolutely right. It's not fair at all that you walk into a situation and has problems from a band that this isn't anymore." <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, yeah, fair enough. He... Unfortunately, unfortunately, we lost Scott before I had any chance to. And, and I and I'm saying I'm I, let me rephrase that. I did have plenty of chances, and I feel bad about it to this day. Um, 
I did have plenty of chances because I moved back to Tampa. I was only maybe an hour or two away from coast, and uh, and I could have gone to visit. I could have hung out with those guys. I just didn't. I didn't make the time to do it, and I really regret that. How do you how do you think Scott is remembered by the metal community? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I try to keep my business to myself, and I'm not worried about the metal community yep. too much. You know, I don't know how they feel. Well, my own thoughts are he's, he's a wonderfully forthright bass player. He's an excellent bass player, and I think his um, his contribution to the um, to the live concert that, that Death released um, um, from LA is uh, a wonderful testament to his playing. Um, I think he's uh, he and um, yeah. and Steve are easily the, the two standout bass players that Chuck worked with through the his tenure as in Death. I concur. He was a solid bass player, really. Um, yeah, fair enough. And the uh, next person is Shannon Ham. I love Shannon. Um, we call him Shandini. He has a habit of disappearing on us. Shandini, right? <laughs> um, finally, yeah. yeah. Um, he's he's. He, one of those guys that, you know, and kind of like me, I have the same thing in me when uh, I get, you know, it just, I'll have, I'll just get the urge to be alone. I need to be alone, so I'm going to walk off into the woods, I'm going to find a rock, I'm going to sit on it until I feel like I don't want to be alone anymore. And that's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I yeah. finally got to uh, do a, a, a gig and play with him live. Um, uh, I don't know how much you know about the, the Costa Rica gigs that I did. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask a, you about them. So there's you... a tribute band. There's a yeah. tribute band. Uh, actually, probably a few of them by now. That, um, and, and death tribute bands, of course, um, down in Costa Rica. And uh, I was mastering a, an album for a band down there, and they asked... Um, you know, then they, after I started mastering their project, they said, uh, "Well, I'll tell you the truth. We're a control tonight tribute band, and we have an agenda here." <laughs> <laughs> they said, "We, you know, we have our money saved up, and it would it would be um, it would be the opportunity, the chance of a lifetime to to have you come down here and and sing and do a concert with us." And so I did. It was that easy, you know. And if they're, they're that into it, that you know, it means that much to them that they would learn all the material and um, and prepare for it and have a promoter work on his end of it. And, yeah, I'll do it. So I, I did the first one, and a few months later, I guess the first one was the anniversary of, of Chuck's um, passing. What? No, it was the anniversary of his birthday was the first one. And then uh, on the anniversary of his passing, they asked me again to be on the show. And I said, well, let's, I would. But I would also like to see if if any of the other guys would like to be involved. So um, 
we tried to get Richard and, and Steve and, and Shannon to come down. Uh, I, Richard it was is really busy with the Howard Stern show, and I just didn't feel comfortable with uh, playing that material without Chuck. And I understand he was very close to Chuck, and yeah. it, it just stirs up emotions that you really don't want to be stirring up all the time. Yes. I get it, and. Um, and and Steve was busy doing something else, no problem. You know, would love would have loved to have him on it though. But uh, but Santa did make it, and we got to share a hotel room and uh, do some bonding. You know, yep. and talking. And uh, but uh, more importantly, we got to rehearse together. And uh, I coached the, the other players on their parts, and um, and finally we got to play on stage together. That material. Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, I've seen the. There are videos posted. I've always had of all the guys in. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're right. I was just going to say there are some videos posted to YouTube, I believe. Yeah, there are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the audio quality bleeps much to be desired, but yeah, yep. the videos there. Yeah, no, it is indeed, yeah. Sorry, mate, what, what were you saying before? I think of all the guys in the band, uh, Shannon and I were the closest. We spent most, I spent more time with Shannon than, than the other guys. So, you know, we had we had a stronger bond than the rest of them that we've seen. Okay, yeah, a pretty good summary on that. We've talked more on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. And the um, the final name I've got on my list here was uh, is I should say Jim Morris. Jim's awesome. Um, when I grow up, I want to be Jim Morris. <laughs> I think the, I think there's a bit of all of us that want to become Jim Morris when we grow up. There's no doubt about that. If you're into music and yeah. mastering and recording and the like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as as a as a um, as a engineer producer, um, I was totally impressed. You know, um, I got to hear demos of things. Uh, you know, he would pick me up. Jim would actually pick me up at the hotel in the morning to go do my vocal sessions. And on the way to the studio, he'd pop in a tape and said, here, listen to this, tell me what you think. This is a band of working on there from wherever. You know, I don't know, Nigeria or uh, Switzerland or wherever, just pick a point on <laughs> And uh And, you know, I just, just listen and be like, wow. And that's... That's a CDR. It's not mastered or anything. No, it's like, wow, pretty darn good. And uh, so then I, you know, I get to, I get to watch him in action while we're doing the vocal sessions. And uh, I picked up a little bit of his production tech. Not a little. I picked up a lot of his production techniques as far as uh, getting things done quickly. You know, he would have me do 10 takes. Yes. You know, not do one take and say, okay, let's do another. He'd say, okay, we're going to do 10 takes of this. And we do 10. And we might do 10 more. He'd say, you know, just, just 
just uh, change it up when you get to the second half of it or whatever, you know? Yep. And, uh, you know, that's it. And uh, picking through, picking through the tanks and, and comping them and everything. You know, the, the techniques that he used came, came you know, it was, uh, it made sense to me. So, you know, when I'm producing someone else or, or I'm working on something on my own, there's Jim Morrison. <laughs> 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 All right. No, that's a very good summary. And look, is there any aspect of your career to date that you don't feel has been given adequate coverage? Is what? Do you think there's an aspect of your your career to date, whether it be with Pharaoh, Amargeddon, uh, even Control the Night, um, that has been given fair coverage or adequate coverage? No, I don't think there's anything lacking. Oh, fair enough. All right. No, I just, uh, I do wish I was more active right now. No. Well, I certainly... And that is about, that is about change. Yeah, I certainly agree with that from a listener's perspective as well. I, um, oh, actually, just before I forget, sorry, what did you think of the video that was done um, for um, the, sorry, I can't remember, I, I remember the name of the song any other time of the day, but of course it escapes me right now. Um, Breaking the Broken, of course. What did you think of the video done for Breaking the Broken from the Fragile Art of Existence? I, I love it. Yeah, likewise, I think it's awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's the, the uh, that's the director's idea of what's going on in that song, and that's kind of the the way Chuck wrote songs. Is uh, he was very much anti MTV, you know? Yes. And, uh, even though he had a few good videos on MTV, yeah. Um, yeah. he understood that music as an art is uh, not to be taken. Literally, you're supposed to make that story up in your head and make those pictures in your own mind. You know, so a lot of people did get the the theme of it, you know, and they didn't understand. Well, there, you know, it does look like a cheesy old uh, B movie, you know, for a reason. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. by accident, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it, so the, but I like it. So there were um, images of um, pages or like a diary or a notebook that had um, some words and some some yeah. drawings and like doodles, if you like. Um, it, was that meant to represent Chuck's yeah. Chuck's thoughts or how he wrote them down and his his images as he put them to paper? Yeah, I believe a lot of them were literally his. He had what he called the book of death, or he kept his, his his scratch ideas of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what we're looking at in the video, or a representation of it. Yeah. I know he did keep a book of death. I particularly like... I keep a book of doom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't we all? <laughs> Yeah, I particularly like in that video clip, though, how the framed images from the um, album Sleeve periodically appear. Uh, I think that really... Um, to use the expression that really frames um, the members of Control Denied very nicely because that's really the last release we're ever going to see from Control Denied as far as, as far as we can really all yeah. see, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, unless somebody does another video. Prefer, yeah. You know. um, all right, mate, we're almost near the... You know, I would yeah. like to see more of that. I would like to see more of that, you know, to have um, the fans and, and you know... Uh, 
filmmakers out there take an interest in, in uh, Control of the Nine and maybe even Pharaoh and, uh, and do their own interpretation of uh, the videos, well, of, no, or of the, of the music. Well, yeah. do videos for us. I couldn't agree more, and, and I'll just share my own experience quickly. I was in uh, a band called Cross Trigger, a local band, just a local band here, and um, look, we released an, a, a, an EP, and um, we reached out to a bloke who was doing his, um, like an assignment for university or college. Um, and asked him if he, uh, he was in audio visual and asked him if he wanted to do a video for us. And of course he did it. It's, it could be fairly straightforward to get those things done. Um, so it's kind of like two birds with one stone scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, um, all right. So, uh, I'm almost at the end. So I've got three questions and look, I do interview uh, a lot of musicians and artists and, um, I'd love it if you could humor me here and play along. Your answers could be as not safe for work as you like because okay. we're an R-rated program. Let's put it that okay. way. <laughs> Tim Amar, okay. choose, choose three words to describe yourself. <laughs> Passionate, sincere, Humble. Nice, passionate, sincere, humble. That's that sounds about right. Um, next question: If you could go back to when you were eighteen and give yourself some advice, what would you say? <laughs> Keep your day job. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of life experience coming out in that statement. I can sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and my final question is what five guests, living or dead, would you invite to dinner? Wow, okay. I want Chuck yep. and Scott. Yep. Let's see. I miss my brother Danny terribly. Danny. I think he would get along with those guys as well. Yeah, my brother Danny. Um, bring my mom along. Wonderful, yep. And uh, just so, uh, let's bring Ronnie James Dio into the picture too. Nice. That, that, that would make it a... It's got a Interesting party. Yeah, happened. no, it's a very, it's a very nice and a very thoughtful list, mate. That one right there. That's what that is. Those are the people that I really loved. Looked up to. So that's it. The last word, Tim Amar. God bless. Wow, he's no longer with us. I was always hoping that there would be some sort of a reformation of the original Control Denied members in that death to all thing that goes around because all except for Chuck they were still with us up until this moment in time Tim Amar he's in the next world joined Chuck and many other greats so that conversation happened back in May or June of 2017 very early on in my podcasting career I'd yet to really master the art of the conversation but I don't think it's too bad I certainly think it's a fitting tribute to the great man so if you like that chat, there are plenty more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com.
www.cradleoffilth.com. If you like Cradle of Filth, I've conducted plenty of interviews with all of the important people that were a part of the band throughout their 90s epoch. And if you like listening to the show, maybe you like reading because I have written a book, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. Tim Amar does feature amongst those pages. So click on the link in the banner of the website there. You'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice and you can download a sample. If you do complete the purchase, hit me up because I want to thank you personally and there's some more information to come about the book. But before I let you go, thanks very much for listening to this one. Appreciate it. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms it, yes. Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, 
you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.